0: Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with multi-passionate women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and managing life in the modern world. Welcome. I'm so excited to be back with you again this week. And I also feel like I have to have a radio voice when I'm recording this. (laughs) And I will also admit that re-listening to this makes me so uncomfortable. Because if, if you're somebody who likes the way that you sound when you hear your voice, please send me a message. I want to get to know you. And how you actually have come to achieve that because I know that most of us are super self-conscious with our voices and how they sound. But I'm embracing it and I'm moving forward and I'm really excited to share this interview with you this week with the lovely Kate Van Horn. Kate is an amazing business mentor. She's also a yoga teacher and a tarot reader based in Los Angeles. And as a mental health advocate, Kate candidly shares her story and experience with sexual abuse, PTSD, and an eating disorder with her audience online. And we get into all of those things in this conversation today. And I'm really, really grateful that she was willing to open up about a lot of these things that we just don't talk about that much as women. Um, But we need to be having more conversations around them because so many of us, have either gone through things like this or are going through them right now, and you are not alone. So, through mindfulness and intuitive practices, Kate hopes to inspire others to radically accept themselves, their stories, their bodies, and live more intuitively. Kate's writing and teaching have been feature- featured in Mind Body Green, Yoga Digest, Prevention Magazine, and The Fullest. And since launching her blog and brand in 2016, she's worked with brands such as Whole Foods, Athleta, Tampax, Dove, and SoulCycle on content creation and social media campaigns. Pretty cool. Kate was named one of 25 influential women in wellness to watch in 2018 by Yogi Approved and has shared her story on podcasts, including Let It Out, The Want Cast. IGNTD podcast and more. She's also the co-founder of an event business, The Good Fest, which hosts wellness event conferences for women all around the U.S. That's actually where Kate and I first got connected. I went to the very first Good Fest um, in Philadelphia a few years back um, and I've just been a cheerleader for them ever since one of my friends and colleagues, Jess Baumgardner. Um, is also a founder of that. And when she told me that she was starting this event company, I was just an automatic supporter. And it's been so cool watching this company evolve. Um, They really are taking a different stance with wellness in a way that's very powerful, especially for women. So I'm so grateful that Kate came on and shared all of this. We really we just get into so many things that I'm I'm wanting to have more and more conversations around, and I think will really resonate with you. And so, I'm going to just dive in, and I hope you enjoy. Yes. Let's just um, let's start by let's start by um, zooming the lens back. Okay, so can you start by just sharing your first body awareness? moment when you first realized that, hey, I'm in a body and it means something in our society in some way, shape or form?
1: I think my first experience really understanding that my body was shapely, to be honest, was um, in middle school. And I remember, like, I've always had like a, a booty. We're going right into it. But I always had, you know, wider hips, thicker thighs and... Um, something now in the Kardashian age is like super accepted, but I remember feeling very out of place. I, I didn't have like a, an athletic body. I had a very like womanly body from a very early age. And um, I just remember getting, you know, putting on my, in, in seventh grade, putting on like new Abercrombie kids jeans and they were just so tight around my butt and the boys saying things. And I was just like, what is going on here? You know, like, what is what is this attention I'm receiving because of that? And then I started to compare myself to the girls who were still you know, maybe we're taller and lengthier, lankier, And I just was like, felt so uncomfortable. I remember walking down the halls, just like anxious about people staring at my, my butt. And I was like, I'm a seventh grader. Like, why am I thinking about this? And, and why is it like a topic of conversation? Like, why, why are people actually making comments? And why is that okay? Um, so I think that's the first time I understood that my body has a reactive, impact I mean all of us do all of us like the comparison exists and that um that people can say and think and judge things based on our shapes and that just really sucked in that moment um I did experience childhood sexual abuse and trauma body related obviously at a very young age of like four and I think that was that was not so much the moment I discovered my body but the opposite was was disconnected to my body for from that time until pretty much you know like puberty when things changed and shifted um so yeah that's kind of how that all happened and stirred up but i think that it was around that time too when that comparison set in when the understanding that my body was different than other women's bodies that a disordered and dysmorphic view around food exercise body image began i wouldn't say that my eating disorder began at that time but um the disconnect and the the unhealthy uh, lens started to kind of kick in.
0: What do you feel like was the first attempt at changing your body or manipulating your body in some way?
1: It was definitely uh, my senior year of high school. I was about 17, 18. And it was when I realized I was going away to college. And that change was, was looming and I was moving pretty far away. And I was scared as, you know. To be expected but the anxiety around change was so was so overwhelming that i wanted to control anything and everything that i could um eating disorders are so rooted in in control i think that they're very similar to addiction in that it's like an escape but i feel like drugs alcohol things like that the things we think of as substances are very much escapism this is eating disorders are so control-based as a form of i remember just allowing food and exercise and calorie counting to become so methodical that it removes emotion from your life. It just becomes so easy. It's, it's systemic. You you follow these very, very intense rules you set for yourself. And then you don't feel, you don't feel fear. You don't feel sadness. You don't feel anxiety because your brain doesn't have the time. It's so, it's so in um, now I realize you're so in your masculine, you're so, so in your like right brain kind of uh, go, go, go accomplish, mindset that you don't feel and and when you're feeling a lot and and feelings are overwhelming you that just feels like relief um so yeah that's when it started was before college and I just wanted to lose weight and and be I just wanted to kind of transform myself be a different person when I arrived there I I hadn't been particularly proud of my experience in high school Um, so I just wanted to be the best I could be and I thought that meant thin. Unfortunately.
0: So interesting. And I it seems like it's almost this opportunity like leaving your parents' house, I'm sure, and moving to a new place, kind of like this opportunity to transform into the person that you really want to be that maybe you weren't able to really own up to in high school in terms of like your expectations and things.
1: Completely. I went to a very competitive school. I went to a very academic school athletics were important I wasn't a part of either of them I felt kind of out of place in that sense I like what you just mentioned too about you know um being away from my parents I think that was huge for me too being an only child to single parents separated we're very very tight we're very close they're very I would I would venture to say codependent with each other um so I knew I wasn't going to be able to get away with shit under their roof I knew that they would know so be having the privacy and the eating disorders are so manipulative and secretive That I knew when I moved away from school, um, you know, my senior year had started and I was able to like kind of tread lightly. And then once I got to Arizona State, I went crazy with it because I didn't have anyone uh, watching over me. And that was really scary to watch how quickly it went from zero to 60, simply because I didn't have the people in my life who know me best, Mm -hmm. seeing me every day.
0: Did you know anybody when you went to college? Because you went away to school, right? Uh,
1: I did. I did. I knew somewhat. I had met my roommate before uh, at orientation. We were both from Philly, so we had that connection. We had stayed in touch. I felt comfortable with her. She ended up being a pivotal, like, and huge part of my recovery journey because she shared a dorm with me while I was in treatment. And I swear, she's like, she's now a therapist, and I'm like, I did this to you. <laughs> um, and we laughed about it. She was meant to be, regardless. But I was really blessed with her. Uh, but no, I didn't really know anyone at the time
0: so interesting. So it it really was this opportunity for you to just become this person that you didn't really have to explain to anybody else because there was no expectation from anybody else, it sounds like. And yeah, I I can't, well, I can't imagine because I kind of went through a a similar transformation myself in terms of stepping into that type of freedom and Mm -hmm. free falling, essentially. Um, Before we talk about your eating disorder a little bit more. Can you tell me a little bit more about that period between seventh and eighth grade when you realized like, hey, I'm in this body and guys are looking at me and this is uncomfortable in a sense Mm -hmm. to 17, 18. Like, did you play around with any kind of diets or what was going on in terms of just daily thoughts around your body or any kind of expectation that you were setting for yourself that maybe you didn't think you were able to really tackle? I
1: definitely, I definitely during that time, um, observed through my household, uh, and my mom, emotional eating for sure. Mm. And I think I, I dove into that a lot. It was a lot of, um, my mom was again, a single mom and, and I wouldn't say we were, she provided everything, but it was hard. It was a hard few years. And when she had a hard time, I noticed like we'd go get treats. Mm-hmm. And that became a thing for me. And that became very secretive to me. I don't remember really, um, like, partaking in a, in a particular diet. I just remember thinking about it all the time. Mm. I also danced. So I was, you know, uh, five days a week in ballet, not helpful. Uh, but I didn't really change my body. I just hated it. Like, I, I remember just from seventh grade to, to, like I said, senior year, just feeling super uncomfortable, never finding clothes that felt good. And And I look back now, and I wasn't I wasn't overweight. It wasn't, it was, it was completely just in my head. I just couldn't stand how I looked. And in high school, I think when I did realize and understand that I was getting that attention, like I mentioned in the beginning, um, I started to seek validation and using my body to control and manipulate others. And this is, this got weird. And I know that this has to do with the abuse that I experienced as a child. I became pretty promiscuous. I'm not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. Sleeping with people. I didn't care. I was lying. I was cheating, cheating on people, the high school version. Um, and I, I look back and it was like, I was very disconnected from it. Like it was like, I, I wasn't even present or there. It was me just being like, I have a body and people use your body. And that's what you do. And you don't really have a say. Or, But but in, at the same time, I did. Like I was creating a say because I was initiate, initiating all of it and seeking that validation and that attention. I was hungry for that. And that makes me sad because I look at myself um, back then and I was from a very early age, even in elementary school, experiencing like panic attacks and extreme anxiety so bad that the nurse was like calling my mom every day. They didn't understand what was going on. And it wasn't until later in my life that I can now comprehend they were panic attacks. But I was like, you know, always had a stomach ache. My chest hurt. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't swallow. And now as like a yoga teacher, I'm like, my throat chakra was killing me. I just wanted to speak my truth of, of the abuse that I had experienced. Um, so yeah, I think that, that there wasn't a particular diet. It was more so just like a, a very big disconnect to my body in general. And just being like, everything I did was to seek some validation that I wasn't willing to give myself.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting. It, it almost sounds like a form of self-sabotage because of... <laughs> like this feeling of unworthiness or maybe even like self punishment or something that I'm sure you see a lot with the clients that you work with, but I, I absolutely do and went through it on my own, on my own journey as well. Just
1: self-sabotage is fascinating. Yeah. I look back forth everything I did with self sabotaging, mm-hmm. even just in friendships It just it chaos. When you grow up with some form of chaos, trauma, whatever, it's hard to get out of that cycle. I mean, you feel uncomfortable when things are quiet and safe. And that was definitely the space that I thrived was um, I I had a lot of anger, resentment. I just, I I was always seeking intensity. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, um, I think because just being quiet and sitting with your own thoughts and your own self felt worse Mm -hmm. or I don't know.
0: Absolutely. No, it does. Absolutely. So if you don't mind, and we don't have to dive into this, at all if you don't want to but when it comes to that memory of the sexual trauma and how you really evolved from that when did that become more of an open part of your life in terms of you were getting help for recovering Mm -hmm. from that experience or you were telling somebody about it or you were talking about it with friends like how quiet was that in your life versus you feeling Mm -hmm. like you could express in some way
1: Yeah. Great question. It was very quiet in my life until I was about 16. I was with my friend, my best friend at the time. Well, still is one of my best friends. Um, And I told her and I don't know what, and I hadn't told anyone. And I don't know what had really sparked my need to tell her. I think I just couldn't take it anymore. And I I really, I, I trust her with my life to this day. And I told her and she just started bawling. And I was like, whoa, I didn't understand. Like, I didn't expect that reaction. So like, and then it really came to a head in recovery or in treatment. I'm sorry for my eating disorder. So my fast forward, my freshman year of college, I'm now out and about uh, doing, you know, working out constantly counting every like losing a lot of weight pretty rapidly. And uh, I come home for Christmas break. My hair is falling out and thinning my periods lost. I look sick and my family's like, what the fuck is going on? And it was pretty immediate. Like my dad was like, treatment or you're coming home. And I was very lucky that I was in Arizona, very close to a a fantastic treatment center. That's that people were flying from all over the country uh, to be able to get treatment there. And it was right in my backyard. And I went and I, um, that's when it all kind of came out was I was working with therapists there. I was there every day. It was an intensive outpatient treatment uh, for about, you know, the majority of my day, six, seven hours a day. And I started to tell people and I'd say the first, I was there about four months. The first month was very much me just going through the action or the motions, doing what they told me to do, kind of not, not really showing up, not being present. I was doing it because my parents said, you must. And then when I started to crack and, and, and open up some of the trauma, they were like, whoa, this is not what we anticipated. And there's a lot more to finally like dive into and and dissect. And at that point, we're two, three months in, we're getting into it. We've involved my parents now told them. And sadly, one of the things that many eating disorder treatment patients face is a lot of struggle with um, their insurance. So at this point, I'm doing better from an action standpoint. I'm eating well, I'm following the meal plan, I'm, I'm living it. I'm like, okay, I'll do it, I'll try it. And um, putting my best foot forward and, and that's what insurance is seeing is, oh, the scale's going up, she's doing what she needs to do, the nutritionist and the dietitian are saying she's doing it right, she must not need treatment anymore. And we had just uncovered this, this huge trauma of my life and they're t- pulling away my, my time there and or vice versa the other option and i remember this like being pissing me off so much because i was again angry resentful angsty um they were like we have to take you to a higher level of care now pretty much they had to in order to keep me there longer they would have to like almost fib how bad my eating disorder was so that we could have more time to work through the trauma so here i am i've already dedicated a couple months in this intensive outpatient i'm no longer experiencing college like a normal freshman i'm not having fun and they're telling me I need to essentially go into like inpatient treatment, and I was like, "Fuck no, I'm not doing this." And I left that treatment. I gave up. I told my parents no. I, I kind of told them that I was doing better than I was, but I had just ripped this band-aid off this incredible wound that I've been like covering all my life at this point, and I had no more like tools. Mm. I didn't have a place to go every day, and I was like, "Oh my god." And that. And I'm really proud of myself. I, 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 continued to remain recovery focused. I continued to, uh, to do all the things I needed to, as far as eating and, and I took off of exercise for close to two, three years, like any formal exercise, obviously I was active, but not, um, in the gym or anything like that. And, but it was real, I would say that even harder than the time in treatment was the time directly after, cause I just hadn't really healed anything. I had just learned how to behave differently. So that took many years later.
0: It's it's so interesting to hear you say this because it I say a lot on just in my community and everything that our relationship with our body and food is a journey. Like there's never a finish line and there's never anything. And particularly when it comes to eating disorders and disordered eating, it is such a hike to get to a peaceful place where you just have some sense of normalcy. I mean, I would go as far to say that it's, it really is this lifelong relationship. Wow. It, it absolutely. Yeah. And so thank you so much for being open about that. And, and what I would love to know is, okay, so you're in this place where you have just come out about this insanely impactful occurrence in your life. That's kind of Shifted a lot of things for you, and you don't have the support, but you're staying focused. So, were you back in school? Did you go back to Arizona? Were uh, you staying with your parents?
1: No, I was. I was in school the whole time. I stayed there. I was living with the same roommate. This is now my second year, and um, I would say I was. I was almost like agoraphobic. Like I almost wasn't leaving my apartment, um, like fear of going out and doing anything because my anxiety was so bad. And I had really great girlfriends who spent a ton of time with me and we did things together. I, I couldn't do anything alone. I couldn't go to class alone. I couldn't go to class, period. Like I just was so scared because again, like that wound was open and I was I was eating and, and not exercising, but yet I wasn't getting any release. Like exercise had kind of been a release, you know, just from an endorphin standpoint, and um, I don't know, it just I didn't have a lot, I just had really good friends who stuck by me, thank god. And um, I spent probably about a that sophomore year directly after treatment just being very um, holed up in my apartment because I didn't know what else to do, and just just feeling and feeling and feeling and feeling, and just I it just felt crippling. Mm-hmm. Um, I once I kind of got past that hump, I just had stuffed it down again, I learned how to stuff it down, and Um, I really was living recovery in in the sense, I always say like there's recovery of the body and then the mindset. I think there are two shifts. I think the body has to happen first. You have to just, it's the same reason why we start by grounding and, um, you know, yoga. It's like, you have to establish a foundation. So I, I had gained some weight and been healthy again. I was no longer like passing out and like unhealthy. Like that was, I thought I had won at that point. I said, okay, I did it. I did recovery. I'm in recovery. And what I didn't understand was that all the mindset stuff, all the self-talk, all the all the self-sabotaging was still there. It just showed up in new ways. I went back to, you know, dating and sleeping around, to looking for this, looking for that, lying, manipulation, arguments, anger, just that intensity grew again in me because mm. I didn't have a release of my eating disorder behaviors or something else. Um I did eventually get back to like therapy and see and see started medication and and all of the things that like, you know, you kind of expect, but it wasn't a formal treatment center anymore. It was more just like once a week. And it was okay, but it wasn't enough. And I just wasn't ready. I don't think I wasn't ready for to dive into the trauma. I thought, you know, God damn it. I'm 19 years old, 20 years old. I've already done like this big eating disorder treatment. It's a lot. I don't want it. To, I want to be normal. I didn't want to have to go into that. I remember a therapist like offering EMDR, which is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that treatment for, for, uh, trauma. And I was like, hell no, like just no more. Um, cause I thought if I just ran from it, it would eventually go away and it didn't. And then when the time was right and when I was out of school and I had graduated, I, I ended up actually going again, <laughs> to treatment for women's trauma. So it was not eating disorder focused. I was now 22 and in a different place back home. I was back mm-hmm. near my family rather than far away. And I tackled it then. And that's really when my life changed. Like mm-hmm. that's when the recovery of the mind shifted and happened. Because I remember too, I know I'm rambling, but I remember during that period, that in between, where I felt so disconnected, I wasn't really gaining a lot of weight. My body wasn't changing a ton. I wasn't still wasn't looking that healthy and it's because I was so anxious. Mm. And it was because I was just running on overdrive of just trying to stay calm. So I remember thinking, and this is how I know I wasn't yet recovered. I remember thinking, God forbid I gain weight again. I know that I can just always go back. Like I knew I had the tools, I the tools, I'm using air quotes I had the ability to lose weight, I had taught myself that before, I just needed to head back into that willpower. And it wasn't until, you know, later after college that I thought, like, no, like, I can never, I can truly never go back to that. And that's when I knew that it had changed from, um, like, like, semi recovered to actually recovered. Mm -hmm. Like, I understood that my life was never going to go back to that place. Whereas in that in between, I was, I was still holding on to it, like, just in case, I know there's a place that's safe for me that I can always head back to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's always there. And I think that's the most challenging part. And I, you said this before in the conversation, but I completely agree. I think that an eating disorder is just like any other addiction. And the fact that you do have those very manipulative tools that are always sitting on the corner that you can always go back to, it is, I completely agree, it is a mindset healing that has to occur for the entire total healing process. So. What do you, how would you define your relationship with food when you were going through your eating disorder? Like when you were in the trenches of it, what, what did food mean to you?
1: It was, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying the enemy. Cause I feel like that's intense. I don't think I ever looked at it like that. I just looked at it like maybe the enemy, like a necessary evil. Like I just felt very, I was like angry at it because I thought I love it. I love food so much. But I was so angry that it had so much control over me and so much. um, Almost like, like emotion, again, like emotional eating was big for me. So I remember like, my grandmother sending me uh, Christmas cookies to my dorm, and same Christmas cookies i had been eating all my life. And I just like, that was a thing. It felt so nostalgic. And I remember being like, angry that they had showed up. And, like, how dare this come to my door and trigger me like this and be such a, like, and I remember standing over the trash can and, like, taking a bite and, like, throwing it out and, like, taking another bite and throwing it out. And then I remember, like, literally, and I'm sorry if this is triggering to anyone, but literally putting uh, the in my dorm sink and, like, running water over them. I was like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. And that just makes me so sad now because there's not a single food in this world that I don't feel – comfortable around anymore. I I really, and I mean that. And I talk to women in recovery all the time who are maybe just starting and they're like, will I ever actually feel safe with food? And I, I never thought there'd be a day where I could look at a plate and not like mentally tally things up, tally calories or, or anything else. And it just doesn't happen. And I can't believe that that used to be what it felt like. Like it was, I was a prisoner to food and that, is such a a shitty way to live. Like there's such, there's so many bigger things to be spending my time on. Like, and I, and I say this too, like it wasn't until I tackled the trauma and and recovered from an eating disorder that like my dreams, my aspirations, my, um, business was able to be launched. I mean, like so much can happen when you take that, that, that time that you spent like constantly, uh, dictated by the food.
0: Absolutely. Well, before we shift, because I think this is a great transition into what you do now, and I think it's so interesting some of the connections in your healing process and everything. Can you just tell the listeners a little bit more specifically about your eating disorder if you suffered from anorexia or bulimia?
1: Yes, anorexia. So I was anorexic. They originally diagnosed me with orthorexia, Mm. which interesting because it was not popular at the time right it wasn't as it is now, now mm-hmm. it's running it. Uh, can you and explain then, what
0: that is for everybody
1: orthorexia is kind of like a not kind of it is an obsession with uh i would say like the purity of food mm-hmm. so it becomes much more about uh how healthy something is how pure it is there's always there's still rules and restrictions around it but uh it's much more about like almost nutritional value the healthiness the, i mean it's a lot of what we see in wellness right now to be honest right um so whereas anorexia is more so the restriction of the actual like quantity and calories and i think once they saw like i i presented this orthorexic uh view of what i was eating but once they they dove into my actual routine and saw the quantity they they diagnosed me with anorexia
0: yeah thank you thank you so much for for sharing that and that also is super interesting that they Diagnosed you with orthorexia because it wasn't. Was that
1: 2010? No, like that? Yeah, wasn't 2010. Exactly.
0: Right. there mm-hmm. no, that was not on the scene at all. no, it's so interesting. Um. Okay. So graduating college. What did you study in college? Mm.
1: I Studied sociology. Okay. Uh, and family and human development. I admittedly was a horrible student from a very young age. I was, you know, failing, getting Cs, Ds, and Fs on report cards since middle school. Um, because I just didn't feel good there. Like I I was struggling with my own stuff as a, as a kid. And then on top of that, I just felt very defiant. I just didn't, my parents knew I was intelligent, but I was like, not into it. Like, I just didn't like it. And I, I really like, I hate to say like, I was an entrepreneur from the start, but I kind of was like, Mm -hmm. I knew what I wanted to do was not going to fit that mold. So I go to school. I was one of the first people in my family to go to college um so my dad was super excited and proud and I just wanted to take something easy and skate by because I was not because I wanted to party not because I wasn't even drinking in school I went to the biggest party school and didn't even drink um I just wanted to get through so I took sociology I did find it interesting but I knew I knew that there was it was not something I was going to use um I knew that I was going to at some point work for myself I just didn't know how and luckily that happened
0: (laughs) right so Graduating college, what was your first job?
1: My first job was in an advertising and marketing agency, and I got an internship there. I've always interviewed well, and I was like, I'm gonna go for it. I should have taken marketing, there's a lot of promise here it was social media marketing. And um, I got it, I scored the, the internship, and I did well there. I uh, hated it, but I, I did I did well, and I was only there for about a year actually before I quit. I quit because I had started my blog. And I just was like, again, like that angsty, you know, I fuck this kind of attitude gets the best of me. Sometimes I walked out one day, I quit very unprofessionally and never looked back. Um, and just, and that was it. I, you know, made it until like 24 working for someone else. And then I said no more.
0: So you were, you had started your blog while you were working your full-time job. So Tell tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about just the beginning of your blog and what even gave you the idea to start one, and what it initially was when you when you started it.
1: So initially, it was primarily food focused. Um, it also incorporated yoga and mindfulness, but I was not a teacher at the time. And uh, it was it was after my second round of treatment for the for the trauma that I found. I just needed a creative outlet. I needed to do something. And I did want to share my story. I did want to share the fact that I had overcome these things and, um, that mindful eating was possible. It was also during that treatment. Uh, I took the kind of like therapy that we, we based around was dialectical behavioral therapy, very much mindfulness based. There's a lot of like Buddhist practices. There's a lot going on, uh, in that that's, that's rooted in mindfulness. So I started to meditate. We meditated as a group and, um, we had yoga offered and that was my kind of first introduction to it as like healing. And, um, I just loved it. And I did, you know, I started, uh, working at the yoga studio on the weekends. Cause I couldn't afford a membership. I was like cleaning and, and at the Shastanga studio and I really, really enjoyed it. And I started to take that same, like Ahimsa, like no harm. Cause I, I needed compassion for myself. Mm-hmm. Like I really did. I felt like I just needed to, I needed self-love so bad that I started to, uh, eat healthier, look into plant-based vegan, compassionate diets. I, I was I was interested in it. I never fully took the plunge to be hundred percent vegan in my life. My blog was, um, but I, I knew that I couldn't because it would have been too restrictive for me. But I really loved this idea of walking into the kitchen and just having like bountiful nourishing food that I was making and creating because I loved my body mm. and incorporating that with the yoga. So that's how the blog started. And um from a from an entrepreneurial and business mindset it was so much fun i loved the challenge of learning new like going on and learning wordpress and creating my website and just doing all of it it was all things that i'd never uh tackled in school it was skills that i had never learned and i loved teaching myself and i just obsessed over it in um in the evenings and on weekends and then in true capricorn fashion I was like I'm going to monetize this <laughs> and I decided to to try to build it into a business and it also kind of parlayed the opportunity and um the beginning of good Fest as well which is the wellness events business that I started around that time
0: right with Jess Baumgartner.
1: yep and Jen Clark who two business
0: partners. Uh, yeah who are our mutual connections because oh. Jess was teaching cooking classes in Philly mm-hmm. And I was stalking her on social media and yeah. went to her cooking class. And it was right before the two of you started the good yeah. Fest. It's so it's, it's, such, a it's such a small world. It's so funny. Super interesting. Tell everyone the name of your blog, what it, it was. was. Yeah.
1: It was Kailin. it. I was shooting
0: uh-huh. Kale it. At yeah. <laughs> so cute. I love it. Um, and at that point in, your healing process and just where you were with your relationship with your body and food and having this platform to focus on it, but in a completely different way, just be honest. Like what, what were some struggles that came up around that, that time feeling like, okay, I'm a leader where I have a voice in letting people know how to use food in their life. But I'm sure there were days where you probably weren't just feeling hundred percent connected to your your body or your food choices or feeling restrictive in some way..
1: Absolutely. that yes, there were days when I just didn't feel good in myself, and I was like, am I the imposter syndrome comes in, right the, the one am I a fraud because I'm promoting loving your body and today I just don't. I'd say more than anything, the biggest struggle and the reason why my business shifted, and I don't have a food blog anymore is, uh, my intentions were really good when I started it. It was, and not to say that that ever changed, but I noticed in the space of food blogging, intuitive eating conversation, there was a lot of irresponsible shit being said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh no, am I really being recovery focused by showing a picture of a smoothie bowl every day? Like, I love it. It's beautiful. It's, it shows food as, as welcoming and, and all of that was real But then when I started to notice the way people were just like, and even my own behaviors, the fact that I was like planning how I was going to snap a photo of a food that I had to show that day. And I just, I couldn't believe that I had gotten back to that obsession again. And I had to take a step back and be like, am I actually being recovery focused right now? Like, am I I am personally, and I'm rooted in it. But am I presenting that, and am I am I educating that properly? And do I even have the right to, to be an educator, or leader on that? I have no credentials for this. Like I was, I learned from a reputable, highly like sought-after treatment center. Who the hell am I to get on here and teach you how to intuitively eat? I have no idea. I have no idea what you're bringing to the plate and to each meal time as far as your history, your conditioning, the messaging around food. I don't know. So my smoothie bowl. Isn't gonna save the world, and uh, and that was very humbling. Like it's like you're young and you're excited, and you're like, no, this isn't really, this isn't smart, and this isn't uh, sustainable. I think is what I realized was this wasn't something I could truly build off of because at my core, I knew there was a disconnect, and there was, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the best it could be for for what I wanted to do, which was really show recovery in a real light. Um, so I stopped really showing my food in general on Instagram. I don't, don't do a lot of it. I do it sometimes, but just not, not in the way that I used to. And, and that kind of sucked to, to pivot, but it also felt like immediately. Right. So that was the biggest struggle was, was that period of like, am I sure about this?
0: (laughs) Yeah. What were some emotions that came up around that? Just that thought process and like those moments of feeling that imposter syndrome and just that fear around what you're presenting and how it's being interpreted by your followers and your audience?
1: I'd say it was, the word sad is just kind of coming up because mm. I felt like I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to let my, my immediate circle too, the people, the friends, the family who had supported me through this whole journey of getting better. And I just really wanted to, I think for so long, I had been the girl with, The the issues, the problems, the girl in therapy, the, and it wasn't, I don't even know how many people really thought that, but I felt that. Mm -hmm. Like I was always, you know, um, having some sort of emotional meltdown. (laughs) And I hated that. I hated that I was, I was always having a hard time. So when my blog started to pick up and people started to find it and see it and be like, this looks awesome. It looks like you're doing really well. I didn't want that to end. I didn't want to, I didn't want to let people down. And what I realized was I had done the work. You're not letting people down. You have to do what's right for you. Um, And ultimately that's, that's the route I took. Thank goodness. But when I first started to realize I had to make changes, I was like, oh no, like everyone's going to assume that I failed again. And I just didn't want to fail anymore. Um, it's all
0: perspective. It's all perspective. And it's also super interesting because the reality is most people go through a few different career changes, especially in our generation. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to do it when you have a public platform and Mm -hmm. everyone can see that you're doing it. And this follow through kind of coming up of, okay, I'm making another leap. Am I actually going to follow through and have this be the thing that actually sticks or what I'm supposed to be doing and the fear around what if this doesn't work, what else? And, um, being a leader, like you said before. So,
1: yeah, I think this past year has been, uh, a fun, difficult, but fun journey and self-reflection. And I've become really self-aware of the fact that I'm a business. I enjoy, I enjoy building businesses, mm. Enjoy that more than I do being a leader, personality influencer. That is actually not me, and and it's not easy for me to get on there. It's not natural. I don't gravitate towards my phone and to putting my face on on Instagram stories and like playing the song and dance. What I'm realizing was I was thriving most when we were building Good Fest, when I was, um, you know, on retreat recently in Costa Rica. Like I like to lead in different ways, and that's been hard to accept because it started differently and and we see so many people thriving and doing so well and getting so much traction. But recently uh, I had to, and especially now that we're, we're just starting 2020, really accept the fact that like, that is not me. And I, it's, I cannot force that. Um, So it's going to be a new iteration of me in these next couple of years. And that will be fun too, but it's all been a learning process. Absolutely.
0: What, when did you make the transition into shifting away from Food focus and what did that next step look like for you?
1: That was around the same time as Good Fest starting. Okay. I think that, that that gave me an opportunity that felt right. That felt like okay, it's not a failure. It's it's a redirect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were very mindful when starting Good Fest in it was August of 2016 that we first had the conversation, and then by April 2017 we had our first event, and that gave us you know a little less than a year, about those eight nine months to just. Focus and get really, really, really um, just learn <laughs> everything about event planning. None of us had an event planning background. <laughs> and uh, we got 350 people in the room, and I was like, holy shit, there's something here, and there's a need here that we're filling, particularly in Philly, which felt great because it was our home city. Um, so, Jess, Jen, and I just, you know, I, that's when I started to feel like a businesswoman and that felt really good. I felt very proud of that. I wasn't just, you know, this like cute blogger showing, showing her daily routines. It, it felt really empowering. And, um, I was also proud of the content that we presented. We were really mindful about not sharing another food focused, nutrition focused mm-hmm. kind of conference. We weren't talking about diet. We weren't talking about exercise. We we're talking about things like creativity. Um, and you know, and it was the first, I believe, first event of it's kind, especially in Philly, that really took that that focus. It wasn't a boot camp. It wasn't a uh, you know diet-driven conversation. And that was like, I think also a, a great confirmation to me of you can do this without taking that route. You can do this without. You can be in wellness without being a health coach. Without being um, nutrition or, or exercise focused. There is a space for this kind of other area of wellness that people aren't currently talking about. Now we're talking about it all the time, but, um, that felt really good.
0: Yeah. I, and I love that. I mean, you guys have evolved so much in the good Fest and the messaging around, I think you've redefined wellness in a really beautiful way to where it, it's not the traditional smoothie bowl wellness. It really is, more mindfulness and self-expression and connection and conversation around topics that aren't really talked about that often or used as a form of self-care or thought of at least. So I I really appreciate the messaging that you all have, um, have developed and it's made such an amazing impact. I mean, I've been through a a couple myself, so Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love it. And I'm I, I'm just so proud of all of you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about where you are now and being essentially in the wellness industry, but in a different light and ha- how that feels just like in terms of comparison and self-doubt and the emotions that come up around being in this space that is somewhat connected to disordered past but it's a very different light now does that make sense
1: it does it does it's um I think now today the biggest struggle is knowing that a lot of my audience came to me with some connection to their disordered eating and past and found you know connection there And I can't talk about it really anymore. Not because I can't, Not because I can come on here and I enjoy uh, podcasts are actually my favorite way because it gives the full story. It allows me to fully dive in, to give it the time and attention and explanation that it deserves. So at this point on Instagram or in these quick little snippets that we're consuming so quickly, um, it's not where I want to talk about trauma and and anything like that anymore. I want to talk about the product of that, which is um, my intuition, my spiritual practice, all the gifts that have come because I had to, I had to develop tools. So now I want my platform in 2020 to really be a a space that houses all the tools that have brought me healing and how I can give back now. And that's been, um, what I've been reflecting on a lot. It's what I'm most excited for. But again, it's that scary, that scary feeling of, should I still be talking about those things with my audience. But I'm hoping, my hope is that they've also grown and evolved and that they've questioned the conversation around wellness. And they understand that that's not serving them either. Um, or, you know, an, the following will change. Like I, I recently had a, um, a session with an intuitive Nikki Novo. She's spoken at Good Fest before. And she was like, you in this year, and it was terrifying to hear as someone who has built a, a platform and business around a social media app she was like, you have to be not afraid to lose half your following this year. And I was like, what? Hold on. And, but she was like, it's okay. Like it's, it's really going to be okay. And um, that's what I'm excited for, is to find the ways to connect with people in the ways that I do through my tarot readings, through my business mentorship, through retreats and teaching yoga. And um, I feel like I was speaking recently to a friend and I said, my stage is not Instagram, my stage stage is when I'm teaching those things and when I'm having those one-on-ones. That's when I feel most in flow. And it's the same reason if you look back that Jess and Jen and I chose to be like the facilitators and the planners. We weren't up there as the talent
0: mm-hmm. at
1: Good Best. We wanted to just create space. So you have to learn as an entrepreneur, where do you what space do you thrive in? Stop looking at where everyone else thrives. Like I'm best in same reason why I'm enjoying this podcast, you know, conversation more about uh, eating disorders rather than talking about it online. Know the spaces that you thrive and that mm-hmm. you can be be your best self and show up as your best self. For me, it is like my one-on-ones. I'm excited. I have a mentorship call today, later, just a phone call with one human and and completely focused on just her. And I think that that's okay to not be the public personality and to not have wellness be riding on, on your back in that way and have to be like this trailblazer all the time. Just- one by one, and and go go that route, and that feels good for me right now. So that's what I'm going to stick with.
0: I love it. I love it so much. Um, I also am interested in your life right now, since we are since we were already talking about really the desire for control and how that manifested into an eating disorder, disordered eating. Something I see a lot, especially with my emotional eating clients, um, and something that I experience for myself too. So. To me, and you can completely disagree if you want, but this is something that is recurring in our life. Mm-hmm. And the issue is when we don't have another outlet other than food or our bodies for that control piece. So at this point in your life and your recovery process, what tools do you feel like you have that are there to fulfill that, that desire for control rather than just food and your body and where you were at before
1: I can first off I completely disagree with you or I agree with you
0: (laughs) you can disagree
1: (laughs) no I completely agree with you I'm so sorry I agree with you that without an outlet things get weird Mm -hmm. like Someone who develops an eating disorder is likely type A, perfectionist, mm-hmm. go-getter, mm-hmm. highly goal-driven. Like it's, it's innate. It's in our nature. We didn't choose to develop an addiction or an escape that felt like recreational. <laughs> um, it felt like work. So that's what saved me is I have my healing tools, my healing practices, yoga, meditation, movement, uh, tarot, those things I love. Also just like my interests, like astrology, like the things that just like light me up that are just fun, like joyful things. In wellness. Then I have the things that like actually keep me accountable, which is my business at this point. Mm-hmm. Because A, obviously I want to to be a leader and to tell people that it's possible, yes. But more than that, I, I love and thrive off the control of this is mine. This is all on me. I like the pressure. I don't do well when I don't have that pressure for myself. That's why I created pressure for myself to be a certain way and to look a certain way. So when I channel that that intensity and that um, that go-getter in me towards something productive like a business, I thrive. But I was actually speaking to my mom about this recently because I'm, I'm really thinking about what's like my next risk that I'm going to take. And I've thought about doing like something big, like whether it's, you know, eventually studio space, I don't know, something that's just scary and out of my wheelhouse. And she said, I think it's a great idea. It's risky, but the, the time that I felt you were, your best mental health wise, she said, was when you were really starting GoodFest and you were taking on a big risk and, and needing to power through. So I know that that's what keeps me accountable is when I have a project that's that feels bigger than me, that takes me out of my body and into my skill set, my creativity, my confidence and makes me more than the physical. Yeah, You know, it, it takes me out of like, it just makes my goals so much more authentic. Um, so when I'm, when I'm just going through the motions and I'm trying to figure out like how to, how to get everything on my to-do list on that self-talk, that, that old pattern behavior can start to come in because I have the room for it. I'm not being challenged. So when I'm not being challenged, like creatively and and passionately, then I know my eating disorder is going to creep in because it has the room in my brain.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. And it, it, you know, I completely relate to that too. And I think that challenge there is that it does this become the new piece that the new obsession right Mm -hmm. so to that point and again you can disagree with me but where do you find the balance or whatever word you want to insert there because balance is a little overused but where do you find the healing tool to really define that line between ambition and drive and creative success and really fueling all of these amazing things versus burnout and stress and defining this the self-care aspect of all of that.
1: Yeah, I think you're right that balance, self-care, it, they're tough because they're so overused and we don't really know what it means and everyone's looks different to them. I think what really helped me, I worked with a mentor after my teacher training And she helped me really understand the division of the masculine and the feminine in us. And that, for me, is my new way of approaching everything. Am I leading with the masculine or am I leading with the feminine? And is it healthy energy or more the shadow side of either of them? Usually I'm not in the shadow side of feminine. Feminine is the hard one for me to tap into, which kind of is that self-care. It's that compassion for yourself. It's that replenishing. It's that creativity. It's that intuition. It's the the softening. Um, So I developed a lot of practice around that. And now, rather than you know, waking up every day and saying, did I, did I give myself self-care today? Did I do this, this thing that I'm supposed to do? I just ask, am I leading with the masculine? Is it healthy or egoic? Or do I need to soften? Like To, to change that shift in how I talk to myself was very helpful. And I, I don't know why. It actually felt like I embodied that now. And I can feel when my body is starting to feel depleted and I'm starting to go into burnout mode and go into survival mode. That I need to refill my cup. I need to get near, you know, water. Have a have a feminine practice. And our bodies are like, they're 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 fascinating. We're able to like biohack and do all this stuff. Sometimes we just literally need to get outside and just breathe. That's it. They're a lot more simple than we make them.
0: (laughs) I totally agree. I and I think that that's the confusion in self care right now is that it's this, it's become so complicated when it really is so simple so for you you mentioned water and just fresh air outside I love both those things too um what are some of your go-to tools that you just know okay that's the thing that's going to refuel me and recharge me and I don't have to justify to anybody it's just my practice that pulls me back into the present moment
1: definitely tarot. is huge for me. I love it. It's just like I bring, I get so much joy when I just explore the cards and I can get very lost in them. I think finding the, the hobbies and the things that you can just get very lost in where time is non-existent. I think that's important. Is some people that's, you know, drawing or writing. Like I tried to make it journaling. It's not journaling for me. Um, movement is something like that. I can get on my mat and just kind of have fun and, and see what happens and stretch it out. And that feels good. Um, I would say, you know, as boring as it is, sleep, I realized, is my thing. Like, I need it. And I I want to be the entrepreneur who gets three hours and can just grind, 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 and it's not me. So knowing that, that that's important to me is is so simple. Such a simple act of self-care. I I have the freedom to sleep in as late as I want, and sometimes I let myself. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I think, too, uh, a lot of healing has come from some inner child work in the sense of, like, Because I've been able to release and process a lot of the trauma, there's a lot more lightness to me. I feel like I've had, like, a little, like, Benjamin Button thing going on lately where I used to be so serious, like, as a kid. Like, I'd never let myself have fun. I never just let myself dance and just move and look silly. And there's been a lot more silliness in my life in the past few years than there ever was before. And that feels really good, Mm. just to laugh and be and act kind of just dumb with my girlfriends. Yeah whatever i want and and just be free freedom um with the people who feel safe and that replenishes me and it's it's simple it's not heading to a float tank or spending eighty dollars on an iv drip it's like (laughs) just having fun
0: yeah absolutely but i i want to riff on that too but can you explain tarot quickly for everybody listening
1: so tarot is uh, a tool, a physical tool that I, well, this is how I like to define mm-hmm. it, a physical tool that brings um, conversation and light to whatever's happening in our subconscious or, or pr- perhaps conscious brain, uh, what we need to process and look at the, the way that we can show up differently. And um, it's just, it's kind of, an, it's definitely an accountability check and, and it's an empowering tool that allows you to just have the conversation you likely already know with yourself. I love that. I'm not a fortune teller. I don't predict the future with clients. I simply facilitate conversation that maybe we're too scared to have and um, empower them with next steps. I, I never leave a reading without telling, I don't just dump all this stuff on them and this gloom and doom. I let them know, okay, here here are a couple actions. Here are a couple practices. I'll follow up in an email and say, you know, try getting your water, try a feminine practice, do this, do that. Because I want everyone to know that like, Tarot is, is this maybe ancient and and very stigmatized practice, but it's we can we can use it in a very modern way. Um, and we can just use it as a as a tool to have have new new insight.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's so interesting and my um, good friend Nina Boyce mm-hmm. is uh, also a tarot reader. And so it is it is an interesting form of self-care and something that's evolved a lot and I think that it is becoming, less stigmatized these days but it's also confusing I think it's it's not something that's super mainstream yet so it's Mm -hmm. no
1: it's not but I think I think we'll get there I think everything you know wellness again started as food and fitness and now is becoming a really 360 degree view and luckily spirituality is coming into that and I think that in general with with just the way the conversation is going amongst women is that we're finally accepting our gifts and one of those is innate intuition. That's something I mean everyone has intuition but we really when connected to it it's it's a very powerful source for a woman. So I think that like the more we have this conversation about we we are women and we we don't need to conform to the masculine the more practices like this are kind of coming up and being more okay. You know there's a reason why it was witchy and weird and shunned. It was because it felt too powerful and and there was there was feminine coming from it and that scared society. But now we're embracing the feminine so much. We see so many gifts in in that power and that energy. So it's no wonder that these types of things are starting to be less stigmatized.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, especially in the moment of Me Too and just this, you know, it's really cool that you're doing this in this time where women are rising up with our voice and just showing up differently in society than ever before. So... It's yeah, we're a, celebrating
1: the moon again, we're we're gathering in circles. I mean it's it's all coming full circle again.
0: Yeah, it always Literally. does. It always does. It's so interesting. So let's let's pivot a little bit because you've mentioned friends a lot and you've mentioned your career path and everything. So one of the questions that I love to ask is just about adulting in general. And, you know, I feel like there are so many things that we experience once we graduate college. Where it's like, where's the guidebook on this? Where like, do you know what I mean? Like your first apartment, your first, um, you know, if you get a pet, things going through going through that process, your first job or resignation from your job, engagements, dating, like all of these things, what do you feel like have been some of the biggest moments in your life where you're just like, where was the guidebook there? Like I would have never seen that coming?
1: I would say all of the little pieces into, into building your own business. Like mostly from like, uh, kind of like what you were saying about, like, you know, financial almost, And like, how do I balance? Like how do I budget? How do I keep this going? What do I invest back into my business to grow it? What do I stay? Like I recently spoke to a financial advisor and I was like, okay, I really am an adult. Like I just spoke to someone about like how to handle like, because when you're not entrepreneur too, I'm like, I don't have someone saying like, here's your 401k here's this, here's your help, Like, I'm like calling my mom, who's a nurse practitioner. I'm like, what's an HMO versus PPO? She's like, Kate, hey, like, what's going on? I'm trying to pick my health insurance. Like I'm I'm lost. But then when it comes to like marketing, like a, a wellness event, I'm like, this is easy. Um, but sometimes just being your own boss, uh, you can easily avoid some of the things you don't want to do. The accounting, the the things, like you kind of just push them to the side. I was like, oh, taxes. Like, I, you know, I don't want to think about them because I don't have, as much structure around those types of things so i'm i have to laugh at myself sometimes like i wake up and i drink my coffee and i pull my tarot but like life still exists yeah you know? <laughs> it's just like la 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 um so that's been fun i think another thing that's always on my mind and this just ran through my brain the other day was uh you mentioned friends so I, i'll kind of talk about that for a second i think i'm always wondering am I being a good enough friend? Mm-hmm. Am I reaching out enough? Mm-hmm. And then I, I think we're all feeling that mm-hmm. all the time. And we're like, we're thinking of our friends. We just don't have a second. But there's also like that understanding where, and that's how I know I have great real connections with with some of my girlfriends is we don't need to talk all the time. And I can check in with them and we'll recap and we'll, we'll it's just not as often anymore. And part of me sad about it, but it's also really refreshing to know that like we're here for each other and it's okay it just looks different than it did back in the day. And it doesn't mean we don't have this like profound love and respect for each other. It's just, lives are different. And that's something I, I, I feel funny when I make a note or or like a to do of like, you know, oh, and so, but it's important to me. And that's something I want to keep up with. And it used to be second nature and I used to be able to sit on my phone and just chit chat all day. And it's just not that anymore. And that's okay. Um. But recognizing that all of us are feeling that I think because I've talked to my girlfriends about it I'm like do I reach out to you enough and she's like I wonder the same thing um so yeah just I doing what there.
0: totally I think every I think we are all experiencing that and I think it's also confusing too because I know that you moved from New Jersey to California Los Angeles and you're also online where you have a lot of relationships from social media where people are all over the world, essentially. Okay. And so it does, it. there is this weird dichotomy of being in this simple space with friends of like your best friends growing up and maybe you had a handful of them. And I think statistically... Most women have six or seven bridesmaids in their wedding because most people have six or seven very close friends. It doesn't matter where they are in proximity of their life, but just those heart friends that you know that you can always call out to. Totally. So and now
1: we have like add to that followers, clients, right? People, networking and it's like, I, like we never used to have to manage thousands of relationships, and now we do because of online. And it's just like, oh, it's hard. It's really hard.
0: It is hard. How do you deal with that from a mindset perspective of knowing who your heart friends are versus the friends that you maybe want to build a deeper connection with versus the friends that you are wanting to have in your life, but don't feel as much of a need to make an emotional investment with? Does that make Mm -hmm. sense?
1: No, it does. It's a really interesting question. The first word that comes to mind is boundaries. And not so much, maybe not even like spoken or clear, or definitive, just with my own self of knowing like, how much does this relationship, I don't want to say how much does this person, but how much does our dynamics, I want to take accountability and like responsibility in this too, how much does our dynamic and our interactions like really fuel me or fill me. So depending on where that is, I match that with the energetic boundary and like the time spent and, and things like that. And I think it's a case by case basis and then there's trial and error. I think you have friendships and people it's like you get really excited you're like oh this is awesome like we really mesh and then you realize you don't you kind of have to slowly separate yourself and I think that's a huge part of adulting too is learning that dance and not needing to make a very like you don't have to have a big conversation about it always it doesn't always have to be something where one person feels they did wrong or right it's just we're two different humans and we have to create and establish different boundaries and Hope that answered
0: that question. Yeah, it did. And I I think that also is another very interesting topic of conversation that I always like having is when do you know it's appropriate to make a little friendship detox Mm -hmm. and not feeling bad about it either, just realizing that you're evolving as well as the other people in your life and you're not necessarily going to stay on the same journey. However, I do think that there's sometimes this emotional, uh, grieving process that we, that we feel in terms of like the expectation of, oh, I should have done my part better. Maybe the situation would have been different. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think back to, of like people that I was so close with and relied on so heavily during treatment, like, because they were in treatment with me. And in that time, we really thought we would be friends for life because we just overcome and, and we're going through something that was so unique to us. And that like, we felt other people, relate to being in those in those rooms together
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I don't really speak to any of them Mm -hmm. I I don't not even really I don't speak to any of them anymore and I'm okay with that and I know that now and it's funny when we were like when we're in it we just couldn't we were constantly supporting and relying on each other and now being removed from it it makes sense you just don't that's representative of a time you didn't want to stay in and you can love and appreciate them for that but that wasn't right. That we weren't meant to be, we weren't meant to be in that room. That's not our most authentic self to begin with. So to, to then think that we were going to carry that into our recovery doesn't make sense. And it's okay. It's completely okay.
0: Yeah. Do you ever have days now where you wake up and you're just like, I, I, it's not a good day. Like I don't, I'm not really feeling it with my body or I am finding myself obsessing a little bit more over food or, and just kind of having those behaviors creep back in that you consciously have to say, no, I'm not going there.
1: Yeah. Well, just coming off the holidays, you know, that's a huge time and trigger of all of those things of wanting to enjoy all the things and the, and the treats and the this and the that, and feeling very like overwhelmed by it. Some, um, I have a very good back to friendship. I have a very good friend who's been with me through all of this and she, she knows she's like, Kate, you're getting anxious about mealtime because like let's say we're trying to plan a restaurant or something and decide where to go I, can, I see it come up then when those decisions need to happen and I'm like well I just kind of want something a little healthy and she's like okay that's fine but I just want to make note that you are coming from a place of fear right now and I was like you're right I am like and and that's when I notice it most is I don't want to say in social situations but um and and I always just I get through it. Like I, I go to the, I go to the burger place. Like it's fine. I, I make it, but I notice that, um, it's the anticipation of different environments, restaurants I haven't been in, things like that. Menus, I don't know. Like it's still there.
0: That lack and, of control.
1: Yeah. That lack of control. <laughs> that yeah, lack of control. Remember. Or I don't know what to, maybe not so much even control now. just like, I don't know what, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. It's going to come of this. Um, but then once I get there and I ease in, it's fine, mm-hmm. you know? order the fries, I do the things, I, buy, I get the glass of wine, it's, it's never really a problem, it's it's a lot more the anticipation of things mm-hmm. sometimes that, that still get hard for me, and I just take a deep breath, and I'm like, you know, is this fear-based, or what's going on here, and um, I was speaking to, to someone when I was home, being out of your environment, and your element, and especially going back to places, if you, if you no longer live in the space where you used to struggle going back there, like going back to, and not just, you know, family dynamics, but just the general environment, driving the same streets and, and everything. Of a of time when I was really hurting, it's, it's very normal. And you have to be gentle with yourself when you're in those places.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How would you define your relationship with your body and food at this point in your life?
1: It's good. It's strong. It's not perfect. Um, but honestly, I don't want it to be perfect because I think, if it was, there would be no, A, room for growth, and it just wouldn't feel human. Um, I am in awe of my body every day. Like, I'm always like, oh, my God. Like, when I really stop to think about it and think about what it's been through and what it does for me and the vehicle that it is to let my soul be a part of this and to let my heart show up and to let my, my brain do what it needs to do like in the sense of creating and connecting and all of those things, like I'm just like blown away by it. Um, but yeah, I look at it and I critique it still. And I, I wonder, I, I get fearful of how it will change in the future, but I know that the more wisdom and time and, and the older we get, hopefully the more we just, we love and accept. I think that like, it's funny, like the younger you are, like, back in high school when we started this conversation of me being like, oh my God, my butt's so big. Like you think that like you were the center of this universe. (laughs) Your your butt's the thing that everyone cares about. And now it's like, I'm starting to realize like, no one gives a shit. Like Uh everyone's in their own world. Everyone's got their stuff to handle and figure out. And no one's looking at my body even remotely as critically as I am. And thank goodness, because that would suck. Uh (laughs) And I think about how much I look at other women who are, uh, doing things and, and, and strong and in their power. And I never think about their bodies. So I have to remember that they're not thinking about mine.
0: Yeah. That's so such a good example. Body. Yeah. 100%. And I think you've just from what you've shared in this conversation, I think you've done such an amazing job with really, having people in your life who lift you up and make you feel empowered. I mean the the story that you just shared about your friend kind of calling you out, that's a great friend. That is a great friend.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we don't talk about our bodies. We I don't. love it. Yeah. And that's another thing like uh you know in this this wellness world, this uh influencer space, all of that. Like I'm not going to lie. I've met some people who are not as genuine, it, it doesn't feel as authentic. But I've met many who all of us are so goal-driven and so excited to create something that we don't sit around and like talk about, you know, who, where'd you get your eyelash extensions and what gym are you going to? We just don't, like like we don't think about those things as much. And I love that. Same goes for uh, Jess and Jen. Like we, mm-hmm. we had so much to talk about with with creating Good Fest and all the excitement around it. Like we don't have the, the time to, to chit chat about things like the physical of our bodies. And that's so nice. It's It's, just so, so nice to see more conversations like that between
0: women. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I also think it's such an important reminder for everybody listening to that you do have the power to shift that conversation. You know, I think Mm -hmm. that to your point, when we get together as females, we use our bodies and our relationship with food as the conversation piece and as a way to kind of rip apart what we're not happy with or, Um, It just kind of absorbs the whole conversation in a lot of situations. And so by really taking a stance and telling your girlfriends, hey, like, let's shift the conversation. Let's take this a different direction. And just giving an opportunity for other things to talk about. Giving us
1: permission to talk about something else. It's very vulnerable to to bring up a new topic than what we've always been saying. The same kind of, like, Narrative we've been living in, um, that's hard. That's intimidating. So, when you're ready to do that for your friends, for your family, for your mom, that's it's brave. But it's so like you open that door and you give a little bit of permission, you give everyone an inch, and they'll be happy and relieved.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's one of the biggest gifts that you can give to everyone in your life, even if they're not ready to hear it yet. I truly believe that. Just opening the door to let them know that it's possible 100%. So, I want to be respectful of your time, but I also want to ask some fun girl talk questions. Oh. And yeah, so can you share a little bit about your morning routine? I know you mentioned that you value sleep and like to sleep in, and I do too. I love that. But um, yeah, how do My you usually morning start your routine mornings?
1: Is, uh, there's no routine, there's only one <laughs> routine, and that's coffee. That's it. And I like it that way. I used to want to have a morning routine and it just doesn't serve me in the same way that I'd say evening routines a little bit more my, my vibe. Um, I definitely know my like peak times. I know that like, you know, the mornings are when I'm actually really, really, really productive. So I actually hop right on to my computer and some people would say that's not healthy. I take my break in the afternoon. That's when I sometimes uh, take the journal or the, it's when I work out. It's when I take my journal out. It's when I do tarot. So my morning's like, get up, get some coffee in me and grind.
0: <laughs> yeah. How, what does your evening routine look like typically?
1: Evening routines, definitely, like, once I've uh, come home, put some, any finishing touches, like, any fires, quote-unquote, out, and I just, I shut down the computer, and um, that's when I'd say I spend the most time with, like, I'm going to use the word, like, learning. Like, that's when I start to look up the things that are fun for me. So, um, I check my horoscope. I, ch- I read a new thing about tarot. I order a new book about uh, business. Like, I just, I it's just a little more fun. I think I, it's still, like, uh, centered around my goals, but... It's a lot more just about like learning. I listen to my podcast. I do those kind of things. I cook um, and I start to just ease into bed. And then uh, I try to, right before bed, do some form of like breath work or meditation because I, it like a soothing kind of like anti anxiety breath work, because I have a really hard time falling asleep. Once I'm asleep, I'm fine, but the falling asleep is tough. So I know that about myself. So I have to prepare for that. I have to start to, you know, ease in
0: slowly. Mm-hmm. I love that. What do you put in your coffee?
1: Um, it depends. Like if I go and have it out, like today I just got Starbucks. I just got a latte, but, um, I just always do cold brew with almond milk. Yeah. That's it.
0: Keep it simple. Um, if you were going to switch careers with guaranteed joy and success, however you want to define that, what would you do?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Oh, I think I would do, I think I would teach yoga more confidently. And I would, I would have a space, a studio space that's my own and just felt very safe and welcoming and, um, and be more lucrative than the typical yoga instructor.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that you're saying that. I love that we're, we're, we are recording that too. Yeah. (laughs) You're putting it out there. That's amazing. That's so cool. Uh, what's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear?
1: (laughs) Um, I wouldn't say trend so much as conversation. I'm really sick of talking about sugar. I'm like really over it. Like I just don't want to talk about it anymore. So that'd be great. Um, I think that and anything that just feels really excessive. Like I mentioned a joke about like IV hydration and like float tanks, like cool. Cryo is another one where I'm like, it's so unnecessary. You just don't need it. And I hate that sometimes it feels necessary to people. And I can't imagine being feeling that pressure to like invest in that and go do those things and find time, especially when you live in a city or a place or a town that doesn't have that available and feeling like, damn it, if I just wish, if I lived in LA or New York, it's just, it's so silly to me.
0: Yeah. Same. And it, it feels so limiting. And also, um, it separates you from so many other people in the world. I feel like if you don't have access to those things, it just feels very segregated. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a signature dinner party dish? Ooh,
1: I'm a horrible cook, actually. Like I I had a food vlog and I'm like really not that good. Like, not I'm not confident like, in That's um, amazing. I, no, seriously. Like my friends are like, I can't believe you have a food vlog. You order food for eats every day. Um I this is, this is not really dumb, but like I've really mastered and this is actually I'm gonna shout out Jess Bumgartner right now because she helped me with this. I've really mastered the art of a very balanced and delicious salad because, and I'll tell you why. And it's like so fast, so simple. Like that's the kind of thing I would bring to a party um, because my, d- Jess, my business partner from Good Fest, taught me flavor balancing. <laughs> and she taught me the importance of a little sweet, a little salty, something fatty. And I'm like, every time I go into the kitchen and piece together like a meal, I'm like, what would Jess do? And it ends up being pretty good.
0: So interesting that you just <laughs> mentioned that because I totally agree. And I'm actually reading this uh, this book on overeating and just the science behind overeating and uh, the psychological c- components of it, of it and everything. And they use a three compass method in really defining how this triggers a lot of people. And it is sugar, salt and fat in almost yeah. every single uh, piece of food that really drives that heightened palatability of food. And that can be used, I mean, in such a great way and also in you know, if it's overused in, in so many different ways too. But yeah, it's so interesting well, because that's
1: it, why I hate the sugar conversation too. It's right. Like we, actually, we can't have any Exactly. binge on it. And it's like, I, I eat a dessert every day. So I I... Really love the dessert? I <laughs> You know, I, I, but I have something sweet every single day. It feels, that fills me up and it completes my meal, my experience. Like I, it's just, it feels good. So that's what I'm going to do. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that those finding that balance is really important and knowing like, food's meant to taste really good.
0: Absolutely. We're meant to have sugar, salt, and fat in food. It's just interesting the way that we have, I mean, this is a whole other tangent, but just how it's the commodity of it versus just the enjoyment and pleasure and balance of the nourishing aspects of those three components. I really noticed
1: it when I went to Italy. Yeah. I was like, Americans, it's so gluttonous. Yeah. Super-sized version of everything And there. It's like, Like, you know, just a couple raviolis came, not like a gigantic and and we just savored it and mealtime wasn't rushed. And it's so different.
0: Yeah. I always say with my clients, especially it's food is so confusing in our culture, it's so confusing. And so the relationship that we have with food is very often no fault of our own. I mean, it really is just the way that it is expressed in our society and whether that's from restriction and all the diet messages that are out there versus the overconsumption overcons- and just the lack of ma- balance in between them rather than just actually encouraging people to mm-hmm. eat mindfully and joyfully and choose foods that fill you up in a way on so many that's different awesome. levels. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, what was the last series that you watched on netflix or hulu or amazon just anything that you
1: well i started it last night i'm not finished yet but i started the uh it was like a kevin hart series documentary i love him yeah he's really funny
0: on netflix
1: yeah it's on netflix it's interesting to see his uh like behind the scenes like his family life and Mm -hmm. things like that and he's uh he talks a lot about his relationship with his father which i i'm really interested in like men talking about like how masculinity and all of that was like discussed in their lives. And I, I thought it was just going to be funny because I think he's hilarious, mm-hmm. but it ended up being like more about that. Which
0: cool. It's interesting. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Seriously. This has been so much fun and I just admire you so much for coming on here and sharing so vulnerably and passionately and for encouraging everybody to look beyond food and their bodies and finding the joy in their life in so many different ways. And um, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up?
1: I want to thank you for, you know, facilitating this conversation and having me and inviting me on. And I just, I appreciate you and all your support too. And I'm really excited to see how this all goes, this podcast. I can't mm, wait.
0: Thanks love. Where can everybody find you?
1: You can find me on Instagram at kate.van.horn um, or my website, katevanhorn.com. Amazing. And that houses kind of all of my my different offerings.
0: Amazing. And just describe those briefly. When how do you work with clients now?
1: I work with clients through a one-on-one business mentorship. I work with them primarily in in the wellness space. So a female entrepreneurs looking to create a conscious business in wellness. I uh, obviously plan events still with the Good Fest and work work through that and then I also um, offer retreats and yoga teaching and tarot workshops things like that kind of depending on where I am sometimes LA sometimes east coast amazing it's all random
0: great love it well thank you so 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 much and we'll talk soon I'll link all of that in the show notes for everybody as well Perfect.
1: thank you again. you're welcome
0: that's our show thank you to our producer matt Iski, our show manager shayla anderson if you want to stay connected to the modern girl community and learn more about our show guests click the show notes of this episode and if this conversation resonated with you throw a five star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the modern girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.